Every week here on In Good Faith, we hope we take you on a little bit of a journey as we interview people about their faith experience and seeing God's hand working in their life. Our journey today, though, is to an actual physical place, but there is a lot of spiritual journey going on at this place, which in fact is called This is the Place, State Heritage Park on the eastern bench of the mountains just above Salt Lake City. And this is the place where, famously, at least to locals here in Salt Lake City, on July 24, 1847, the first company of pioneers came and began what would become Salt Lake City. So we call it Pioneer Day, and it's celebrated much the way the 4th of July is. There are even more fireworks, lots of food, and celebrations. In fact, the holiday has been celebrated in the state since 1849. Although perspectives on the holiday have shifted, as the damaging effects of westward expansion on indigenous and black communities has become more fully recognized, one project trying to bring greater recognition to the public involves a little-known bit of history. Before the 24th of July and the entering of that main vanguard company, there was another group, the Advance Group. A few people who, on the 22nd of July, 1847, came in and saw that valley for the first time in their lives. Our story today is about a few of those unsung members of that early company. They aren't mentioned because they came as enslaved people. And yet, they made every bit of that pioneer journey just as the others who are more famously celebrated. Today, we're taking you to the dedication of brand new monuments there at This Is The Place State Park. On July 22, 2022, a monument was dedicated recognizing the role of those black pioneers, both free and enslaved, in settling Utah. The monument was dedicated the very day of the 175th anniversary of that advanced company arriving in Salt Lake City. Those memorialized in the monument are three enslaved men, Green Flake and brothers Hark Wales and Oscar Smith, and also a free woman, Jane Manning James, celebrating the prominent role she played in the community of the Salt Lake Valley. So this episode is a mixture of faith, of history, and overdue celebration, as we share excerpts from the speakers, including prominent political and religious figures from the state, recorded at the event. Then we'll share with you an interview with Monument Coordinator Mowley Jr. Bonner. The dedication opens with words of prayer from Betty Sawyer, President of the Ogden NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. I pray that everyone that gathers here today and all those that may visit this monument in the future will take this time to reflect on it as what the famous Dr. Amos Brown from San Francisco Third Baptist Church calls a ritual of remembrance, a history for us to reflect on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, instead of just once a year or on special occasions. Let us be empowered and emboldened to act with compassion toward others as we reflect on their stories and the importance of their lives and their work in the history of this great state and this great nation. Sankofa is an Andrinka symbol. It depicts a bird with his head looking back with an egg in its mouth in order to go forward. This symbolizes that one cannot be pregnant 
with possibilities for the future unless they first know their history, their past, where they've come from. In the spirit of Sankofa, let us learn, embrace, and share the story of these great pioneers as God posts to our forward progress. In the name of all that is just, holy, and righteous, the only wise God, our Savior, Jesus the Christ, amen and ashe. Amen. That was Betty Sawyer, president of the Ogden, Utah, NAACP. Following the invocation, descendants of Greenflake gathered to unveil the monument, which consists of three statues depicting Greenflake, Jane Manning James, and brothers Hark Wales and Oscar Smith. Behind each statue stands a slab of stone with text sharing the story and legacy of each person recognized. With those monuments finally in view, Malu Jr. Bonner, who left his prepared statements behind, shared words about the importance of monuments like this in educating and changing our communities. I'm turning pages like I'm reading, that's the funny part. <laughs> oh my gosh. Why do we look to the past? Why do we build these monuments? To remember them? Yes, to remember the people that came before us. This monument tells part of that story. Those three 10 foot tall slabs are so that we never forget the 10 years of enslavement here between 1852 and 1862. Yes. It's a hard part of our history, but we have to remember it. We have to learn it and never forget it. And then what do we do with that knowledge? We teach our children. We allow them to come up in a world where they're not gonna be blindsided by history. They'll be able to be taught it at a young age and so that we can truly be the inclusive community that we want to be. To those who do have a hard time finding people that look like them in community leadership, in pictures, in art, in monuments, you still belong. You belong here. You belong here. How you live your life and the legacy you live is their legacy. You are their living legacy. Be who you want to see. Be who you want to see. We all have that opportunity. We have a journey from where we came from. But if we don't know where we came from, how in the world will we know how far we've come? That was Mally Bonner. Next, we heard from Utah Governor Spencer J. Cox, who shared what these monuments mean to him. When I was a kid, I was growing up, um, I, I got into some trouble and I was really struggling. I discovered some of our pioneers. We had some stories my parents told me about our pioneers and, and that changed my mindset. I realized that, that they did hard things and that, that I was somebody, that I came from somewhere, some, from some people that did some really important things in this state and that changed my whole outlook. And I want that for everyone. This is the beloved community that Martin Luther King Jr. spoke about. This is it. This is the beloved community. This is what we're trying to achieve as a state. And it is going to take all of us. Ladies and gentlemen, race is hard to talk about. Look, we have to acknowledge. We have to know. We have to learn the truth, the facts. We have to understand what happened once so it never happens again. 
but two, as my dear friend just told us, so we can see how far we've come. And we have to acknowledge that we have come so very far and we should celebrate how far we've come. We should celebrate that today. And yet, and yet, make no mistake that we still have, we still have a journey to go. That was Utah Governor Spencer Cox. The Bonner family then sang the song Child of God, an original composition by Mally Bonner. When I'm strong enough to fly, brave enough to fall, have energy to climb, my way over my walls tells me I am a child of God. When I'm strong enough to cry, unforgettable, have faith enough to try, the impossible tells me I am a child of God. To finish the ceremony, President M. Russell Ballard, a senior leader of the LDS Church, closed the meeting with a dedicatory prayer. After the ceremony, the attendees were able to approach the statues, take pictures, celebrate together, and even sing. During this time, I was able to speak to Darius Gray, a founder and president of the Genesis Group, an organization for Black Latter-day Saints. Gray is a prominent writer, speaker, and historian for decades in the area. Darius Gray joined the church in 1964. Utah is home. Uh, I love it. I, I look at the hills here. Um, this ground, these plants, this air, I'm invested in it. So I've been here a long while. Had you ever pictured such a monument or hoped for something never, like that? Never. Uh, hearing the song behind us, Amen, Amen. And that's the, uh, the, the sense I have. Amen. What a day. What has God wrought? It's, it was mentioned several times today of looking back to see how far we've come. Yes. So that we also know which way we need to yes. go. Yes. Do you, do you feel positive changes in the last 10 years? In all honesty, it had been getting well and better for all of us. And then there was a downturn. And that downturn has been real and painful for a number of people on different sides and stripes. Based on what I hear and have seen today, knowing the commitment by our governor and by leaders in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and knowing most of all, God is in charge, it will get better. Um, what do you hope that people feel? 
whether they're black or any other race, when they come here and they see these monuments to these black Utah pioneers. The brotherhood and the sisterhood of mankind. Um, we walk the same trails together. There wasn't a black path and a white path. There was one path. And uh, at times it was beautiful to see and other times painful to walk. But in our future, as we move through this life and into the future, we are on one path because we are one family. A special thanks to Darius Gray, a founding member of the Genesis Group, for sharing his time and his inspiring words. A week after the dedication of the monument, we were lucky to speak with Mauli Bonner over Zoom about his role in coordinating the monument and the project that inspired the whole thing. Mauli is a sought-after vocal director in the music industry. He writes for and coaches some of the biggest names in pop music, including Ariana Grande, Camila Cabello, Stevie Wonder, and others. He recently focused his talents on cinema as the writer and director of the award-winning film His Name is Green Flake, which follows the lives of free and enslaved black pioneers in the early Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mowley used proceeds from this film to support and help organize the Monument Dedication Project. He and his wife Chantel run the nonprofit Lift Up Voices, an organization dedicated to providing musical experiences to underprivileged youth, and recently authored with his wife Chantel the children's book A Child of God. Mowley says this is just the beginning of him telling diverse stories through the arts. Right after I finished making the film and threw it into film festivals, and it did phenomenal. It did so great. It exceeded expectation. You know, best film in London and LA and Rome, Istanbul, like incredible. And I just thought to myself, because I'm from LA, let's take pictures by the monuments. Because I know like Utah, they love their monuments. Let's just do a, <laughs> a selfie next to all the pictures. And so as I'm looking up and trying to find somewhere to do that, that's when I realized there's no sculptures of these, these men and women. And I just assumed there were because of their contribution to that pioneer trek. And so that's when everything changed to the proceeds going to the monument. And um, in your question, you asked, like, were you not sure that it was going to happen? I got to tell you, I didn't question it. Mm -hmm. I just knew it was going to happen. The how, I didn't know, but I did know that it was going to happen. And we were going to dedicate it on the 175th anniversary. Yeah, that timing, that was incredible. That was perfect. And a very meaningful moment for me was when the descendants of Greenflake went up to actually unveil the statues and the granite with their history, the granite slabs behind them. It was the actual descendants getting to do that. Absolutely. That was so special. I mean, there was uh, descendants that hadn't been together in 30, 40 years. Mm. And then many of them are local and have been a part of, of Utah. Uh, for generations. And so to see them together and get to recognize their family in this way, the way they should be recognized, was just overwhelming for me. Well, I want to go back just a little bit because some people are listening and going, well, this sounds really interesting, but uh, who is Molly Bonner and who is Green Flake? So we've introduced you as being a vocal director, a songwriter. You work with lots of big name artists. What do you do when you work with those folks? Well, it's different for each artist. It's either I'm writing music for them, I'm teaching them how to sing, or I'm teaching them how to perform. Mm -hmm. So for each artist, it could be different. For Gladys Knight, it was writing for her gospel album. Right now, I'm writing for Stevie Wonder. And other artists, Camila Cabello, Ariana Grande, it was preparing them for their live shows. So I'll determine what the order of the set should be and how to go about singing it. So it depends on the artist. 
And then as far as Green Flake, for folks who were thinking, well, that, there's an unusual name, fill us in on that. Yes. So with enslaved African-Americans, a lot of times their name came from what they did well. And so whether it was a blacksmith and they were called Black Pete, in Green's situation, he could make anything grow and blossom. Um, and they knew if he planted it, it would grow. And so that's where he got his name Green from. And where did you first hear about him and decide this is a story I need to tell in a movie, which is not what you usually do? Not at all. I mean, I, I had never even thought, dreamed, or considered making a film. And it wasn't until the B1 celebration that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints put on, and it was commemorating the priesthood ban being lifted, or the priesthood being given to all men, right? It was the 40th anniversary. And at that presentation, they talked about Elijah Abel, who I'd heard about, Jane Manning James, who I knew something of. And then it was Green Flake and other free and enslaved black pioneers that I hadn't heard of. And I just was, me being a black member of the church, I was like, I need to know these things to be able to answer some of the tough questions that come my way. So I just dove in and met with historians and reading quickly turned into writing. And in that next month, I had 200 pages and 10 songs. And that's when I realized, oh my gosh, I think this is a movie. So Green Flake was new to you? Brand new. I had never heard of him before. There was a line from one of the, the characters that you've mentioned, Brother Elijah Abel. Um, and help me get this quote right. You may not like my history, but you must respect it or you must know it. What's the correct line? So, yeah. So the line was, they don't have to like my history, but they should at least know about it. I can imagine that that was a sentiment for many Black pioneers, Black Americans, anybody who's come up in situations uh, coming out of oppression. And, you know, these stories, thankfully, uh, are stories that all of us are enjoying discovering. I'm, I'm so grateful that this film has touched not just the hearts of Black Americans or those of African descent, but all people, white people, white members of the church, and everybody in between has been just really loving these stories and connecting to them, which is so special. Was there some particular thing that made you focus out of all of those people on Green Flake? Well, it wasn't Green Flake who I was focused on initially. It was Elijah Abel, because there's just so much about him. And to me, his story, him being an early priesthood holder, Elijah Abel uh, received the priesthood in 1836. Most people, like myself, thought, well, black people couldn't have the priesthood until 1978. So who is this Elijah Abel? And now what does that mean? That there were black priesthood holders in the very beginning, a year after the church was restored. And so finding that out uh, made me want to learn more about Elijah Abel. And while I was doing that history, I just felt the presence of Green Flake. I felt distracted by his spirit, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, let me just focus on this Green Flake character for a minute so I can get back to Elijah. And then it just turned into another, whole nother world. And it was just, this was the whole purpose, Green Flake. And I learned that he did drive that first wagon. I didn't know it at the time. And so it was just a beautiful unveiling for me. Yeah, we hear about the saints entering the Salt Lake Valley as part of their Western trek on July 24th. But there are people who don't know about that advanced company on July 22nd. And the ones who do haven't known that there was an African-American man with them. Yeah, it's, it's something that most don't know unless, unless you're someone who likes digging into the particulars of our history, of the church history. And on that advanced team, led by Orson Pratt of the Twelve Apostles, 
was three enslaved black pioneers. So it was Green Flake, Hark Lay, and Oscar Crosby. And they eventually, after they were emancipated, changed their names to Oscar Smith and Hark Wales. But Green, Hark, and Oscar were a part of that advanced team. All three of them enslaved. Green Flake was 19. So when you think of missionaries that are riding around on bikes and some and some people may have young missionaries themselves who are out there you can think of green flake as he drove that first wagon through immigration canyon for that pioneer trek so those monuments are standing there really kind of at the entrance to the park i mean they're definitely something you'll see as you as you enter this is the place state park what do you hope will be accomplished or that god can accomplish through having those monuments there and preserving the story of these people? Well, well, one, when we were looking for the location, we drove all around the park. We saw that that was the best spot in the whole park. And we unanimously thought, this is it. This is the right place, as Brigham Young would have said. <laughs> this is the right place. This is where they need to be. When we come into that park, we want it to be available to everyone. We wanted it to be free. So if someone can't afford to go through the park, they can at least come and see this monument and learn this history right in the entrance. And why is that important? Well, I think us as human beings, we learn first by what we see. Yeah. Visual representation, that's, that's how we learn. And I hope that this begins to create more and that there can be a more diversity in what we see out there because, you know, we shouldn't have to explain to our children that even though you don't see them, yes, they were here. Yeah. No, we need to see them, and that be a part of the truth we tell. You know, you told, if you're comfortable sharing it, a very touching story about actually feeling like you had the need to convince your children or teach them that there were such things as black angels. And as a parent, that was quite moving to me. I wonder if you could tell me about that experience. We're walking through the foyer of our church, and he's looking at the pictures, and he loves granddad, who is no longer with us. And based on the picture, granddad's not in heaven. There are no black or brown angels. And I have to tell him that's not true. Angels come in all colors, all shapes, all cultures. I was doing everything I could not to break down in tears in front of him so that he didn't feel the weight of what he was asking, that there were no brown angels, no brown or black angels. Mm. It wasn't even a question. Because look, dad, see, there are none. Granddad's not in heaven. I shouldn't have to try to convince my son and tell him that picture, don't believe it. That can't be what we're trying to teach our children to not believe what they're looking at, you know? I realize that representation for all children are so important. And it's not just for those who are the minority. We want those who are in the majority, their children to also know that there's angels of all colors, that there's people of all sizes and cultures all over, you know? So I know that it, it was a hard conversation to have, but an important one that really started me on my journey. Yeah, of all places to to feel like, do I belong? Certainly with God. Yeah. Has to be. What a, what, I'm, I'm really glad you shared that. Thank you. You know, the title of the film, His Name is Green Flake. As we were talking about this and wanting to invite you, it occurred to us that some of the recent movements, as far as representation and awareness of treatment and systemic situations for minorities in the U.S., there's a whole movement called Say Her Name, for instance, with Breonna Taylor or recently with George Floyd and Ahmed Arbery. Is there some connection there with saying his name is Green Flake and that Say Their Name idea? I think that that's a beautiful, a beautiful thing that you picked up on. 
because absolutely, I've never been asked that, but that's absolutely why we said his name is Green Flake, because we don't want it to just be an idea of Black pioneers. We need to say their names and learn their names and know that they were here and know what they endured. And they were real people. They were dads and fathers and brothers and sisters and cousins. And without a name, I think it's easier to be removed from them. And so you're absolutely right. His name is Green Flake is to remind us to know who they are by name. Yeah, what a, what a beautiful idea. Molly, you're a man of faith and you come from a family of your parents who have been previous guests a year or two ago on In Good Faith shared their story, which I'll recommend to people. And in our show notes, I'll put what episode number that is. But people don't just inherit that. You can inherit a tradition of belief, but to actually latch onto it and claim it as your own. Can you tell me about that process for you of actually coming to say, I really, I, I do believe there's a God and here's why? Oh, wow. How do I answer that question short? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You could take your time. <laughs> Well, for me, okay, so I grew up in a home where my parents, uh, Christ was the center of everything. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I say that, I don't, I don't mean the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. I mean the gospel that Christ lived and died for, which is also a part of the church. But that gospel was so heavily rooted in our everyday life, how we talked, how we loved each other, things we discussed, uh, you know, and it wasn't just a specific religion. We would go to the Baptist church and sing in the choir, and then we would come to our ward and sing at church, and then we would go be in a Baptist choir that my mom was doing in the community. And then, so it was just the culture of Jesus Christ was a really a strong part of us. And I did lean on my parents heavily growing up because they were such faithful people, faithful disciples of Christ. But as it became, as I became an adult, I'll tell a quick story. I was at the ocean. It was my first time vacationing. I was running into the ocean and getting toppled by the waves, just crushed. But I was loving it, just laughing and just getting slaughtered by the, and you look back and everybody has their phones up videoing this man getting thrown all over the place and laughing like a crazy person. But that was me. And then then I did this every day. And then one day, the last day, the waves were different. And there was a young Mexican boy who was selling things on the beach. And he says, no, not today, big fish, is what he called me, big fish. <laughs> not today. And I was like, well, well, why not? Because he had been helping me throughout these days. He had taught me things. He taught me how to go under the wave, how to hold my breath, how to relax when it's just running me around in circles under the water. But today, he says, not today. And there was nobody in the water, and I saw that. And then I looked out there, and there was a man waving his hand to be saved. And he says, you see, that's you, big fish. And so I was like, okay. And then they called for young Johnny, who was, had to be a buck 20, 120 pounds soaking wet, a little guy. And they were like, Johnny, Johnny, help. So Johnny goes running, dives into the ocean. The rest of us, who are all just guests at the hotel, are pulling on that rope that has these buoys to keep this, this, these little balls on top of the ocean water so they can hang their bodies over it. So Johnny's in there going after this man. They both go under and they don't come up for a while. Then they come back up for air and the, the man is flailing around. Johnny's under, then the man is up, then the man is under and Johnny's up. And then they both go under for a period of time. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so I, I don't know why, but I threw my wallet to my wife. I didn't look at her because I knew if I made eye contact, she would not let me go in that water. <laughs> so I just threw my wallet to my wife and I take off into the ocean and I just dive in and I get in there. And he was right. That ocean felt so different. It was violent. 
that I remembered everything he told me. And I was just, okay, hold my breath and re relax on all the things. A body hits me underwater and it's a big body. It was the man he was trying to save. And I, I grabbed onto the body, the, the wave washes away and I pull him out. And now I'm doing CPR, not because I know how, but there's a nurse and a doctor next to me and telling me what to do. He's a big guy and I'm a pretty big guy and they're just telling me, push, push, push. And I'm doing all of these things, doing all these things. And he's not breathing. He's not breathing. And I'm like, goodness, Lord, please. And everybody's praying and there's different faiths all saying, hang him upside down. No, do this prayer. Get in this circle. Everybody has their own way. And the man did not come back and didn't resuscitate himself. And he was taken away and he, he's, he's, he's dying on the stretcher as he's, we're rolling him out. And I'm praying. I said, Lord, please just take my life and give him his, please. Like I just give me that. And I, and that was my first prayer asking for something for me. I had never, I'd been saving it. And I don't know why I thought of prayer that way, but I had been saving my prayer and the Lord didn't give it to me. It was silent. And it was almost like, I don't know you. Like we have not spoken. And the man passed away and I'm sitting there just bawling. And then I just realized, oh my gosh, my priesthood power. I didn't even think to give him a blessing. And I, all these things. And then my faith was toppled, crushed. And I was angry with God. And I just, how could he do this to me? How could he? And it wasn't until I had my children years later, because I went on a strike I was on strike with the Lord. You do your thing, I'll do mine. Uh-huh. And it was when I had my child that I I saw that, oh my gosh, I'm his son. He wants me to talk to him and ask for things and and it's not me just doing my own journey in life and then one day calling on him. I need to speak to him daily. And so it was my, my first child that changed that relationship. And I drew, I grew a very personal relationship with my father in heaven. I'm sorry to give you that long story. No, no, that's, it's quite a dramatic, I mean, I see why that sticks in your mind. Yeah, but that's what, that's what got me started. That's where my faith began. Molly, at the dedication of these monuments, you said a few words, and obviously this was a very moving thing for you. There's this whole idea of reconciliation that I want to ask about if you're comfortable, because there are past policies or ways of doing things that there's no other word for it, have been hurtful. Yeah. And so to move ahead, you seem to have found a way to connect and, and to, to be moving ahead in building bridges, in building relationships, and in doing some healing between communities, even uh, creating an opportunity for some of these communities to meet together at an event like this. What do you think about that? How, how does that work for you? Yeah, I, I know that it's difficult to talk about race, period. Especially now, now that we've been talking about it so poignantly for the last few years. It's heavy and it's emotionally taxing. The way I go about it is I try to take care of the person on the other side of the conversation. So whether that's a white person, a black person, it doesn't matter. But are they okay as we're having this sensitive conversation? And I find that if, if I can make sure that I care about what they're emotionally going through, whether it's just the weight of the history that they feel so sad about or the weight of a history that's attached to their family, if we are just empathetic of what our brothers and sisters are feeling, then I find that 
that is reciprocated. I've always felt taken care of as I'm being vulnerable, talking about my family history and within the church, the history in the church, so long as I care about the person on the other side of the conversation. I find that we all want the same thing. Like we're not looking to be divided. We want to be together. We just don't know how to do that without being so hurt through it. And so I believe that there will be more conversations about how to move forward when it comes to race and racism and our past. And it's, we're not trying to move past it, but just move forward together. Uh, because the beauty of it all is that none of us were there. None of us, not one of us were there when these hard things were happening, these terrible things. But we are here now. We are all here now and have an opportunity to move it forward in the right way. And so I hope that we can be empowered by who we are and where we are today and not crippled by the past that we're not talking about. I was really happy when I heard about these monuments because I thought, well, okay, I have one part of my family where folks did come in handcarts. And I thought, well, I'm glad now that another group of people have their pioneers to celebrate. But when I got there, what I actually felt and was most moving to me was I felt like I was able, through what you had presented, to adopt these people as my own pioneers too, because they're part of this tradition that I'm part of. So really, I want to thank you for that, because that was an unexpected feeling for me, but I was very happy to have it. I am so happy to hear that. Like That, for me, is the dream, that we can share in this history together and draw strength from each other's pasts. You know, no matter if somebody looks or sounds like you, they're still our brother or sister. And I think I mentioned in my speech, you know, when we look at the scriptures and some of the folks that we, those who are religious people, talk about every week, different prophets, apostles, and Christ. Odds are most of us look nothing like them, don't speak their language, but we draw so much strength from them, so much so that we talk about them every week. No matter how difficult those stories are, we continue talking about them and drawing from them. And I hope that Green Flake and Oscar and Hark and Jane can be added to the names that we look to as we're building our faith. I would say one of the most unifying moments was when your family all stood up and sang Child of God. That was the beginning of that feeling for me of these are my pioneers too, but also that I was among people that I on a daily basis don't always rub shoulders with and was so happy I got to. Can you talk to me because you do so much with music, about how do music and faith connect for you? What part of your belief and your faith in God is tied to, to music? Yeah, it's, it's, even, it's hard to explain because I think for a lot of us, a song can take us somewhere or can console us when we're in a certain space. You know, whether it's heartbreak or a loss of life or finding faith, losing faith, I find that music and melodies connect with our spirit in a way that words alone can't. What you felt was more than words. You know, there was a spirit that lived in that melody. I know that for my ancestors, music was a place of healing, you know, to overcome some of the trials. There were songs sung, and that's no different for pioneers and saints in their darkest of times singing these songs and hymns that got them through the hardest parts of their lives. Yeah. Molly, what should I ask you, but I don't know to ask you? What's something that you think, well, I want to be sure I get this in or that we haven't covered? When we're talking about this movie, His Name is Green Flake, and really where it all began, it's, it's a vessel. It's being used to open the door 
to the history that we're not we're not sure about. We don't know how to approach it. Where do we start looking? How do we start learning? And that film is that key that opens the door. I just I would tell anyone go see the movie, find out where it's playing, and see it. It's through a nonprofit, so it's not making anybody rich. You know, the monument's built now, but what it is going to do is allow you to catch up, just like I got to a few years ago, to catch up on what we haven't known. And then you can hit the ground running. So the film is just a beautiful piece of history that I hope we all can share in. And the beautiful part is how we all came about to make that film. There's so many actors that just signed on, said, I'm in. Alex Boyer, I called him. He read that that night and was like, oh, my goodness, we have to make this movie right now. He was so excited. And then my family, the Bonner family, there's 14 members of my family in there. There's two members from Gentry. And these are uh, local artists and influencers in the area. Dallin Bayless, David Osmond, Aaliyah Rose. There's just a huge list of people that just wanted to make sure that they helped tell this untold story. And you get to be a part of witnessing it, which is so special. How do you know when you get an assignment from God, like write a song, like make a film, like <laughs> build a monument? Yeah. Is it, just, do you, is it just suddenly something you feel compelled to do, or how does that work for you? Um, it's, it's evolved because what started as an impression um, grew as I, as I was in, obedient to those impressions grew to words. Um, words grew to melodies, um, and directing me to people, it just evolved in how the Lord would speak to me. And it, and my understanding of that voice got stronger and more clear, the more obedient I was. If we just act on the impressions that we know are good, then the rest will reveal itself. We don't have to see the full outcome. I didn't know that I was going to be we were going to be unveiling a monument four years later after I started writing the first words, but I knew I had to write it. And so I hope that helps answer your question. Me and my long answers. Goodness. Mally Bonner, thank you so much for speaking with me today in good faith. Absolutely. My pleasure. Is there a website or a place people can get information about the movie His Name is Greenflake? Yes. So for those who are thinking, okay, I need to go see this film, if you go to greenflakemovie.com, we'll make sure we direct you where you need to go. So whether it's in the theaters at the time you hear this or whether it's going to be streaming, you'll have that information at greenflakemovie.com. Goodness, it's, this is just the beginning. That's the beautiful part. This is just the beginning of telling more stories. We hope you enjoyed this episode and hope it prompts you to consider the value of hearing from all the members of our communities and helping each of us to be seen. Mally Bonner's efforts are an inspiring step towards recognition and education, but for many other groups, initiatives like this are just the first step towards sharing their voice with the world. Our episode was produced, engineered, and edited by Peter Ellison. We'd like to thank Mauli Bonner for sharing his journey, his passion, and his faith with us, as well as Darius Gray and all the speakers at the monument dedication, including Betty Sawyer, Governor Spencer Cox, the Bonner family, and President M. Russell Ballard. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. Be sure and leave a positive comment or review where you get your podcasts and help spread the word. 
Our Twitter feed is at InGoodFaithBYU. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you join me again soon, right here, In Good Faith.